Hello, and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice for the most interesting people. Whether you want advice, mentoring, or ideas. I'm Josh Nix, content producer for Label Sessions, and in this episode, Nick Sherrod of Label Sessions talks to James Harris. James is a marketing leader for over 20 years of experience, extensive of growth in customer acquisition, share of wallet, and customer engagement. James really is at the forefront of marketing leadership. Over to Nick and James. Lovely to have you on the on the, on the podcast. I always think it's really hard to introduce someone's story like yours because you've worked a few different places in a few different roles. So if you were to introduce yourself, how would you kind of give the overview of the James Harris story? Great, great question. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I've been in the corporate world for over 25 years now. Um, and probably a lot of my career is on purpose, a lot by accident, as, as many things are. Um, but, um, you know, I, I've worked primarily in financial services um, for, for most of my career, but, but across sort of asset management, personal investing and wealth, you know, platforms and, and, and insurance. So sort of a, a broad spectrum of, of that industry. Um, and done different roles. So, you know, I've done marketing roles and, and primarily, I guess, marketing roles, but also done sales and also, you know, product strategy and, and, and development. And um, and I think that gives a good breadth and understanding. I mean, something I've always enjoyed in my career is understanding how things connect, you know, how that end-to-end journey works. And, and I think it's quite important to understand that, particularly as a marketeer, um, you know, a lot of people talk about customer journeys now. Um, but, but I think it's really important to, to, to understand that. So, so I've worked across, um, as I say, different, um, areas of the financial service industry. I, I've had different, um, roles within it. And, and I guess latterly, obviously a lot of management, but also leadership roles where I've led teams, um, in terms of, you know, what we're trying to achieve for our customer and our, and our businesses. So, you know, um, and, and a lot of my latter career really was around that, you know, how do you get the best out of teams? You know, are you heading in the right direction? What are you trying to do? Um, but also, I, I guess, a lot around customer obsession and customer insight and understanding as well, because I think, you know, that's that's a phrase that's often used. Um, but, I, but I do subscribe to the mantra that leaders should sort of start and obsess with the customer and work backwards. And I, I think it's very important. Uh, easy to get internally focused at times. I want to pick up on that a few, in a few different ways. Just for a second, I want to pick up on that comment you had around the things in your career that were deliberate and the things that were accidental. I mean, did you, I mean, did you starting out think I really want to work in marketing? Did you think financial services was an interesting piece? Like, how did it all, how did it all happen? I think you, you have some individuals that are very driven. Um, I think the rest of us probably sort of find our way. Um, no, I, I actually did a business degree I, I wanted to go into law and study law part of my degree was law but I needed a conversion course and and actually sort of fell into marketing I happened to get a, a marketing job uh, with a gas company actually um, and and whilst doing that I I actually started to explore the markets and, and get a bit of an interest which led me going actually to to, to ending up in an, an insurance company but really more on the sort of I sort of did two things one looked after insurance products, but also did sort of investment bonds. And I guess it, it awakened an interest in markets and investing, if you like. And um, and that's something which I then sort of did actively seek out and 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 decided that actually, if I was going to do that, I probably should try asset management. I should probably go and work in the city um, and, and sort of um, 
after a few attempts, a few conversations, sort of, you know, found myself in, in a role in, in quite a small upcoming um, company. But actually, that was great because it gave me a real opportunity to, to, to expand. So I, I don't think it was deliberate. I think it was a sort of path of discovery, um, if you like, um, in that regard. Interesting. Well, when you came later on to be running, you know, quite large teams in very large organizations, did you feel that you were there was anything from when you were in the smaller company before that you were bringing to that, or anything that you could have felt that was kind of a bit of a USP by the time you you came through? Um, any company wants a bias for action, but sometimes in smaller companies, there's kind of no place to hide. <laughs> um, I, I also think, by definition, you do get to look at things, do things that perhaps sometimes you don't in in bigger companies. You know. I was struck recently with a discussion with someone at a big company where, you know, if I take the product process, the strategy, the development, the management were all sort of broken down and had different leaders. And, you know, that can work, I guess, in a big company, but ultimately you've got to understand how the parts fit together. So so I, th- I think in a smaller company, um, there are no hiding places. You do have to understand um, how the parts connect and, um, and, and, and perhaps there is less specialization and, and perhaps more generalization, uh, if you like. So, so for me, that's, that's definitely, definitely something, um, that I think that, that I, I learned, um, you know, that, that smaller to larger company. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting thing. Okay. So let's come on to this kind of idea of customer obsession and, and actually maybe for a starting point as well, I'm quite conscious as we go through the label sessions, present this podcast in particular, that half the people that listen are more from the tech world, half more from the marketing world quite often. And from the tech world, I think they tend to think of marketing much more as adverts and sort of outbound, uh, going to market, taking a product out to the world. Whereas quite often in asset management or financial services marketing, that's actually quite a small part of what marketing does. I mean, what, what, what do you think in terms of those kind of roles you had where you're running you know, a marketing operation within an asset management company? What actually makes a difference there in terms of the marketing activity? Yeah, and, and I've experienced different environments where actually, depending on the organization, they, they have a different view on marketing. And I, and I think actually when I, I was a sort of product manager in the insurance world, they had a, they, they brought a, a, a sort of CMO in, didn't really call them CMOs in those days, who, who had this idea of, you know, he'd come from FMCG and wanted product management. So actually you worked you know, with what was then actuaries to determine actually what's the product set? You know, how do we position it? How do we take it to market? Who sells it? How do they sell it? You know, so it really was end to end. I think in some asset management firms, it, it, it can it can be different um, depending on the nature of the firm, uh, which markets it's in and, 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 and uh, those kind of things. Um, but you're right, marketing is, is much broader. You know, in that sense, it is, you know, who is your target market? Um, actually, what is the product or service or capability opportunity you, you, you can take to them? What is the process by which actually, you know, you're going to position and, you know, take that product or, or, or service to market and how do you engage? And, you know, I, I've been lucky in my career to work with people where we've had good management teams that have, have really partnered in, in that and saying, what is our business strategy? You know, what is our product or service strategy? Who are we talking to? How are we going to talk to them? Um, and, and even change the distribution model, if you like, you know, based on insight and, and therefore what is the role of sales and marketing in, in that regard. So, you know, I've been fortunate to, to work with some people where they've really embraced it as a core capability of the organization and, and, and you've been a, around the table. You know, likewise, you know, I've been in environments where it is considered, well, you're the guys that probably, you know, in the old world do the brochures or help do the websites, you know, um, and, and when we want to, 
sell or do a TV ad or radio commercial, that's what you do. Um, but but for me, it is it is much broader. As a marketeer, I do think you know you've got to understand your audience. You want those audience insights. You've got to understand your product or proposition, and then really think about how you compete and how you take it to market. Um, and that will be different potentially, even sometimes in the in the same sector. Yeah, it's interesting. So, how do you go about doing that? If you like, because again, one of the other challenges of that yeah, kind of part of the world is that your audience, your customer base is. is Fast, you know, it's a huge range of different types of people and things. So, how do you get a sense of who they are, and how do you voice that in a in a, in a inside the business? Yes, yeah, so, so I, I think it will depend. Um, so, you know, if you take the more institutional or, or wholesale side of, of of that area or that business, then you know, ultimately, in some markets, there is really great data on who they are and what they do. So, the US, the UK, I think it becomes a bit more patchy um in in other markets but but when i talk about data there i'll even tell you you know what they're selling <laughs> who they're you know what products or services they're selling and, and who buying what your market share is and your and your penetration so so i think there is quite a defined market and actually in that sort of b2b world you know most people to some extent will be aware of your brand um you know for, for most companies not all of them depending on if it's new emerging or small most so it's really about the consideration phase and actually do they understand the capability how does that capability fit within you know their needs and what they're trying to deliver to their to their customers so so i think there is there, there is a lot of insight through the sales teams through the market um i think it becomes quite different when you get you know to that broader market in the personal investing and wealth space you know um and there clearly there is a much broader opportunity um, and it really then again depends on that that product or service. I think, particularly with some of the fintechs, what we're trying to see is actually how do we democratize wealth management? How do we take it to all people? Um, you know, which is a great thing. And and I think in a world where we move to greater self provision, you know, it's really important we look at how we do that. But also we need to be realistic because you know in that personal investing in wealth space. You know, actually, probably the first thing many people will do is, you know, end up contributing to a pension um, because of compulsion. Actually, it may not have the money, <laughs> um, you know, actually to invest. So you've got to be clear about your, your your target market, or it will be in such small increments. You know, are you really going to get them early enough so they'll stay with you in, in, in years to come? So I, so, so I, I, I think it is that clarity of, you know, who is my target market? Actually, do they have the wealth and affluence, and how do I service them? I think the complication where companies uh, are today is okay. Well, what about that wealth transfer? You know, um, between couples. Actually, what about intergenerational wealth and, and family wealth management? And how do I really, you know, target and, and work and partner with with people around that? Um, but but again, I do think there is a clarity on your target market. I think the risk is for some they want to be all things to all people, and let's face it, I think that that's where a company can can quickly come come unstuck because by definition you can't be and when you say i mean in some ways one of the things that happens quite often in financial services marketing people try and be all things to all people and therefore become very dull yes it's kind of interesting it's, it's, it's kind of there's definitely something that goes on in fs where they kind of have a desire to be everything and therefore for nobody yeah you will have no engagement yeah yeah I, and, and I think, I guess I would say just on that, I, I think, you know, how do you stand out and differentiate? It's a, it's a tough sector to do that, particularly if you look at some of the, the product products that are more rate-driven, right? I mean, if you go and get your 
if you include insurance, if you go and get your car insurance, you probably don't read the T's and C's. You're looking at price each year. Um, you know, it, you know, you only get tested when you've got a claim. So it's, it's quite tough when you move to sort of asset management and wealth management. You're right. A lot of people are, are saying the same things. How are you truly different? What can you do? And how can you deliver a, a difference? And I, you know, I, I do think what is changing a lot is um, particularly in that that wealth space is customer experience. But but money's an interesting one where I would say that you know I think people are becoming more comfortable in how they you know do things digitally virtually. But but there is a trust you need to create if you're going to give a a large chunk of your wealth <laughs> across someone there there is a trust in it uh, that you need to create. It's interesting as well, because that's quite a different, in, in some areas, some of the things you're saying there in terms of creating customer experiences through digital experiences, that's going to come into all kind of sectors. But trust, because the money in, is involved is bigger and because it's more, it's, kind of, it's really important stuff that's happening to people at a really important life stages, is a thing that we ask with digital experiences of financial services that isn't asked of other sectors very often, the, the ability to build trust uh, and have, and it's quite interesting, you know, is that, that kind of leverage the brand asset, I guess, in terms of how that, how that operates. Are there areas of the sector you think are most exciting just now? Are there bits that you kind of think there's something, there's an opportunity for someone to do something exciting or there's something happening that you think is interesting? Well, I, I think there are so many, actually. I, I think from a marketing point of view, you've clearly, you know, you, you can't have a conversation without talking about AI. Um, and and then I, I think there you've got what I call the three Cs, you know, um, you know, you've got copy, you've got creative and code. Um, you know, you've got the obvious point that, quite frankly, you can get AI to write a good piece of copy. You, you may you, you may not publish it without reviewing and checking it. You know, creative, I think it's well established how you can create, you know, do creative assets. The code piece is around marketing data and marketing data is, is fundamental. Um, you know, certainly, you know, I had teams where they were starting to use it, you know, instead of spending lots of time on code, they were starting to use it to write the code and check, you know, they would still have to review the code, check the code, sign off the code, you know, have four eyes over the code, but ultimately, so 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 they're the sort of obvious obvious ones. I think the other one that's talked about a lot is 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 also um, ledger and blockchain. Um, you know, one of the challenges, certainly for the incumbents in in financial services and asset management, is they have legacy systems. They were built on transactional legacy systems, and that's what's really interesting for the fintechs. Is they come in and go, well, I'm going to design from a customer experience and not be you know inhibited by that. So actually, I can design something that's that more friendly, and I and I think, you know, the potential for for blockchain to improve operational processes, um, etc. I'm not sure, but I may not see it that people are really capitalising on that. But certainly, I think the incumbents are investing a lot of money at looking at that. Probably as much from sort of operational efficiency um, as, as anything else. But but I but I would say that's a, that's an interesting one as well. But in some ways, people might be listening, thinking, well. The issue of legacy systems means it's going to be really hard to ever implement any of these things. But in some ways, what you're saying is actually because it's because the existing the kind of root A is so tough, there might actually it must actually might be it might be a sector where it can be implemented. Is that your kind of that your view? I, I agreed, and 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 I, and I don't think you can stand still because ultimately I think they're all looking for you know how do we improve efficiency, operation efficiency? How, you know, um, you know how do we do things uh, in a way that's different and better? Um, and if you stand still, someone else will be doing it, <laughs> and you'll be left behind. I, I, I you know, so I, I yeah, I, I definitely think it, it's something. You know, how quickly where it ends up, you know, you know, it's probably more talk about it than delivery at the moment. I, I suspect, but yeah. 
This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentoring, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team. That's true of lots of areas of uh, new tech and different areas and new, new things like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. Though. So in terms of when you are leading a team around this, this kind of thing, one of the things that we hear quite a lot, we hear leaders asking for advice on quite a lot is this issue of you realize there's a big new opportunity somewhere, something like AI. You've also got to keep the lights on. You've got to keep the core operation running. There's also different people in the team with different levels of excitement or sometimes fear around the new things that are coming through. Um, how do you think about doing that, running a large team, but you've got some really interesting innovations going on. You've also got courses to deliver. Like, how, 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 how do you set the tone and how do you think about that? It's a really good point because I guess that's the, it's always the difference between management and leadership, isn't it? Management, you're trying to deliver people, processes and, and, and some of the day-to-day outcomes where in leadership, you're trying to inspire and create room for change. Um, you know, I, I think the first thing is actually how do you create an environment where people are open to new ideas um, and, and, and you can create that, 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 that discussion around new ideas? Um, particularly at FS, there's a lot of, um, you know, this is the way we do things and, you know, why invest and take time here? Um, you know, so, um, but, but, I, I, but I do think there is a need to, to have a look at invention and, and think about new invention. And, and I guess it, it's really interesting because, you know, my experience has been, I think you do have companies that go, well, okay, we're going to have an area where we incubate new ideas and, and they'll be fed by potential business challenges. Um, um, uh, so that, that's one way. And then you've got the day-to-day business running. The risk, I, I think that's a good thing and can be a good thing. The risk is it becomes too disconnected from the business and, and where do you see the real wins? Because if you don't see some win and progress, people become skeptical of other than the people that are in that people become skeptical of actually, does it really incubate and deliver? Um, you know, I've also experienced where we've gone, okay, we're going to build a new capability. And what we're going to do is actually, we're going to put a group of people aside. Um, we're going to give them the freedom. We're going to rate. They're not going to be curtailed by, you know, existing budgets and, and they're going to have the ability to go and build it um, and do it. Um, and it is. I, I don't think there's an easy answer in, the, in an organisation. I do in an, a bigger, more established organisation because you do have to keep, you know, running the path that's delivering the the, the the things for here and now. But also, how do you incubate, challenge, and, and try new things? So, you know, I, I think it will depend on the thing that you're doing and and what you think that time is. You know, uh, and the practicality of getting that thing in. 12, 18 months, two years. Um, but, but, I, but I do think you've got to create an environment um, uh, that people are open to new ideas. Because sometimes, you know, we, we're probably talking about the big things there where you've got people incubating or, you know, but sometimes it's just a continuous improvement uh, as well. And I, I think we shouldn't lose sight of that because, you know, I, 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 I do have a, a lot of people talk about innovation. Innovation is quite a big, scary word, right? Because if you put, a bunch of people are in and go, right, what, how are we going to innovate? For most people, they go, oh, okay, well, I've got to find the next iPad. How do I do that? What is that? Um, and sometimes, therefore, just finding ways to improve what you're doing. Um, you know, and that could be around data. That could be around engagement. Um, you know, it could be around the way you use your media. 
you know, it could be a, a whole number of things and, and, and just giving people the freedom to trial and test and do new things whilst doing the, the, the day job. And I, and I, 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 for me, that is very much about the environment you create. I think, you know, because if, if you think about it, you know, any organization, you have your team, you've got your systems and your processes, but then also you've got to create the right environment, um, and, and, and give people the freedom to try and experiment and do different things. Um, and I think necessarily sometimes that requires a bit of budget, but but I think you I think I think it's quite amazing sometimes what you can do if you give people the freedom and even a little bit of budget what they can go and do actually. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting things because I think there's there's definitely something that's um, sort of in vogue just now around creating the environment around giving people space to do some things and to experiment. But like you say, sometimes that does require a little bit of money or a little bit of actual time where they're able to proudly say I wasn't doing. The, the, the big thing everyone's asking about me that right now, this afternoon, I did something else. It's an interesting thing. And, and I don't want to ask you to name any names here because you work with lots of different brands. But one of the interesting things there is you can try and create one atmosphere within your team. And then you've got all the other functions that may not always be like singing to the same to, to the same hymn sheet. I mean, have you got experience of that? That's the thing a lot of our leaders face into. Like, I, I, again, how do you think about that? Or how do you yeah, how do you frame that? It's a, it's a great question because ultimately, you know, Leadership is about values, beliefs, and an environment, and, and as I say, creating that 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 environment where you can change things and, and people want to perform. And I, I do think you can create that within your own teams. I, I think the dream, right, is you know it starts with your CEO, and your CEO sets that that, that the leaders around them. And, and 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 to be frank, I have worked in you know in organisations where effectively my CEO of a business division when there were multiple business divisions, you know, you know, he created that and, and it was noticeable and actually became quite powerful that the rest of the organization sort of took, took notice, if you like. Um, um, you know, the dream is obviously, you know, you want it at the top. If you don't have that, it tends to fail, but, um, but ultimately you, you need, it needs to be much more than that. But, but I think you can create it, um, you know, the environment, uh, it comes back to some of the things I've said, which is, you know, if I think back when it's worked, it's, you know, yes, you've got to have the right team, people around you. It's then creating the right environment where, you know, you do empower them, give them some freedom, you know, both in the day job as well as, you know, the, the job of experimentation, learning and, 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 and testing and, and trying new things. Um, and, and for me, the power of people is just amazing. It's, you know, that, that, you know, when someone's been able to go and do something, try something, come back and give, tell you they've had a result, you know, and you can go, well done, that's all down to you, brilliant, go and share it with everyone else. You know, the, the power of that is it's multiplying, if you like. So you need, you know, one or two of those and it becomes multiplying. So it's an interesting thing because people quite often, I think, tend to try and communicate how they're going to work to people like proactively whereas actually the other side of your story is just celebrating stories a certain way and allowing those to become the, yeah, I, I, the kind of guide I, I, absolutely i i do think you know like anything it, it's very easy and i've worked organizations and it was part of the dna where it's right okay that's great but what next you know uh you know nick you've done a brilliant job but how could you do it better and and like you think you know don't me wrong there, there's something in that that's good but you've got to create the space, haven't you? You've got to create the space and go, Nick, that was a brilliant job. Excellent. Well done. And, you know, and then a week later, come back and say, right, we've got this other challenge. How are we going to run at it? Yeah. Even better if this kind of thing of like, actually, let's build on that rather than it being, yeah, this uh, sort of whole over the coals culture of, uh, yeah, where did things, where did things go? Uh, yeah. That's a really, that's a really interesting, uh, really interesting thing. I mean, in terms of, 
as you look across the different types of organizations you've you've worked in different cultures and things that are that are that are there um what do you think it holds true for what good marketing leadership looks like across all those different kinds of spaces i mean are that kind of things that you just think every marketing leader in a kind of complex organization like that should should have in mind i think you've got to be able to connect with the business and understand the business um and what we're trying to do as a business and be part of that that journey you know i've seen marketing leaders that do that really well and i've seen others that are you know sort of an aside and yes but when it comes to me i do this bit um so i, so I think you've really got to you know force your way to be around the table and, and show that you know and understand the business and be commercial um i think is fundamental i think you have to then you know be a voice for your team and your teams about what they can do what they can contribute you have to stand up and sort of say okay we can run at this we can do this and um, and you've got to be prepared to stand by what you commit to and and, and the results. So, I, I, you know, it, it's one of those things. I, I, you know, I think you do need your, your your clear objectives, your clear metrics, and you're going to demonstrate wherever you can your tangible results, as as well as you know some that may be less tangible. And someone once once said to me, um, when I was working with a a business leader, it's like, you know, when everything goes um you know badly, it's marketing's fault. When everything goes well, it's clearly them and their their proposition team and not marketing. Where no, the, the truth is actually it's the the partnership of, of everyone coming together. So, um, so so I do think you've got to be part of the business. You've got to be commercial. You've got to stand up and, and shout for what you and your teams can do. Um, I think sometimes you've got to find the thing that allows you to be the voice around the table. So in asset management, maybe where I've had jobs where I've been responsible for the product, you know, I've unified the investment, the sales and the marketing teams. Um, you know, in other parts where I don't know, you've got something like you know consumer duty that's uh, been quite a big thing recently in, in the sector. Um, customer insight and, and customer research, and sometimes bringing that to the table. You know, so finding that thing that that allows you the the extra voice, and and and, and some organisations are very good at saying, well, okay, but we we get marketing with a capital M, and 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 this is what we we want you to do. And then I think you have got to sort of hire and develop the best talent and 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 challenge those people in terms of the standards they set um and 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 you know ensure you've got a sort of bias for for action as well um so i don't know that that's you know that that's kind of the way i, I think about it and then i think the final thing is just that ongoing environment you create that we've we've touched on already the other flip to this question before we do some fun sort of want us to get to know you a bit better but the, in terms of that's the quite the, the advice you give now to the world is there advice that if you had yourself when you're starting out in your career, is there advice you would, you kind of wish things you'd wish you'd known earlier or things you would advise your younger self on now? So I, I could probably take that in two parts. One is that, you know, the things I think be persistent, you know, some, you know, don't take no for an answer. Um, I think sometimes the beauty of you is, you, you know, and, and, and sometimes being a male, we can be a little bit, you know, overconfident, but having confidence in, in, in your ability and, 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 and what you can do. I, I think the thing that, you know, um, I think though you do want to be reflective, not over, you know, you, you don't want to sort of dwell on things, but being reflective, understanding how you've done things, how you could do things differently. Um, I, I think that understanding of it's not just about you, but the contribution you, you, you bring to your team, you know, the bit that I've, I, I, you know, I've had some great mentors, colleagues and friends through, but, but I probably, you know, not always actively saw that they've been a byproduct of, of, of what I've done. 
if you like. But but actually, I, I do think thinking about that as you go through your career, as much as anything, from getting different perspectives from people. Um, and don't be afraid of the 360 feedback either. I think it's one of those things where, you know, um, actually go out and seek and get it and, and, and hear the tough, the tough messages. You know, I, I one of my management stroke was more management lesson than leadership lesson was, you know, someone I was, I was managing early in my career, I was in a pub and I heard them say something about me and it was about my management style. Um, but that, that was gold, you know, because actually, you know, what it made me reflect on is, yeah, they're right. I, I wasn't managing that well. I need to do it differently. I need to be better. Um, you know, um, yeah, but anyway, so I, I yeah, there, there's some of the things I would think of. Yeah, that's such an interesting thing. I was thinking it's such a shame that 360 feedback is so sort of tied so often to kind of performance management and kind of and annual negotiations over salaries and things. You just find a way just to have it as like a genuine reflection thing. It'd be an interesting piece. Do you know what? I, I think you're right. I mean, that's the old adage, isn't it? That you know, there should be, never be any surprises, but it, it, you kind of want that stuff throughout the year. And I think if you're having the right discussions with people and you're asking the right questions, because you know, people generally don't like conflicts. They're not always going to volunteer stuff. So actually learning to ask a question to get an understanding and think about the perspective of others, I think, is is, is really key. Um, you, you want broad perspectives and diversity of thought, but but I think, you know, it's a bit like that, that leadership piece is you need to know your own style, but you need to understand other people's styles and, and, and what they need. And, 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 you know, I might take feedback very differently to you, but, but, but that feedback point, I think, is fundamental. I think a lot of my lessons I've learned haven't really been through the formal processes. They've all been through the informal. Well, that, that's interesting as well. It's one thing before we go into the rapid fire questions, because you were also in this hard position of you were a leader through the COVID times and therefore the rapid adoption of remote working. Um, yeah. Coming from an industry which is the classic kind of everyone's in a big tower, like like big big power offices and all that kind of thing. Uh, first of all, how did you find that experience leading people through it? And secondly, what difference do you think that's that's made to the way that what it's life's life's like as a marketeer in in this kind of sector? I I think first of all, I'd, I'd always have to give credit to the organisation I worked for who made that possible in no time at all, and and it was already quite proactive in having people more flexibly work from home on some days. Now I I at that point wasn't. I'd said I'd always work one day from home and four days in the office, but wasn't achieving it at all to suddenly go to five days. And, and when I came through COVID, I was like, I quite like this flexibility. You know, it's great. I'm not going to go in the office as much. Without a doubt, there are some challenges. And I think the challenges come from, you know, inducting new people. You know, how do you get the culture? But also the risk. So, so I think it worked really well. And, and certainly I've enjoyed that hybrid working piece and continue to do so. Um, but, but clearly the risk is you become more transactional. You know, so if I think about when I was in the office, um, I would see, you know, I'd you know, the, the hundreds of people, you know, I, I would see people and I'd have a conversation with Nick at the coffee machine or I'd hear someone because actually we'd moved away from our office if we had an open plan office, probably not to the delight of, of, of some of my teams where I'd hear them talk and go, ah, but have you thought about this? But but those moments were, were, were great and, and suddenly you've lost all that. So actually, you're not necessarily getting the feedback you need other than from your direct reports. And so, so I think for me, some of that, well, how do you bring people together when you can, but also do you pick up the phone? Do you have a conversation with someone that actually isn't in your direct line? And and I think it took everyone, including me, a while to adjust, but actually I, I really, that, that sort of 
skip level meeting aspect where you're sort of hearing from people what their problems can make their lives easier or actually what's going on on the on the ground i, I think that was quite important so taking time out to, to get people together not just in big groups um which was the risk and, and i fell into that trap but yes we'll have 80 people on the call and how is everyone of course they're not going to talk up but sometimes smaller groups um um and and so you know I do think there's a balance you know you do need face time with 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 people we are human creatures and I think that 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 does make a difference but but um but actually I I would say the organizations cope well because of the technology um I think you know I think we had a good team that you know pretty much bar none felt committed to the purpose and the job they were doing so you know they weren't just you know watching a movie in the afternoon they go oh I better just check online <laughs> Um, um, but you do need to, you know, there is a bit of extra management control that probably comes back, um, but also then just how you reach out and engage. And I think that that tested everyone through the period. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it, it kind of, the issue I always think wasn't necessarily remote working as such. It was just, it, it, that exposed, we didn't actually know what was valuable around how all the work happens. So in terms of things like the sort of the little conversations in, in the hallway or by the coffee machine, they're actually really important where we actually thought there was almost like a thing you try and design out of the workspace uh and then on on the flip side what was maybe less important was the kind of pure presenteeism of whether you're there or those particular hours it's and without a doubt and i've worked in organizations at, or times in organizations where that presenteeism is 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 has been a real focus for some people and and it's it's daft right because you know actually what you have someone is they're probably twiddling their thumbs not doing anything and actually letting them go an hour early or work from home would probably make them more productive yeah although yeah definitely although i also find it's interesting because actually i think it also was challenging for some of the leaders we saw who had a very informal leadership style as well it was also really difficult because actually you realize a lot of what they were doing was kind of you know i think that people sometimes say the management by walking around it was actually a, is a thing you can do very well as a sort of uh but all of a sudden they actually had to communicate in a more formal way in a way you must have found that to some degree as well if you, if you don't have a, a team meet then nobody knows what the hell you're thinking about anymore it's like there's a interesting yeah, and, time and it's you're right i mean i i think that that's exactly it. I, I think almost you have to bring a bit more of that formal discipline but then again if it's too formal it becomes transactional so you know how do, how do you balance that sort of personal approach as well and, and no without a doubt that that was a test and i you know, I certainly didn't get it right. Um, I think all of the time, um, but I but I think you adapt and and, and learn. And um, yeah, um, you know, I used to travel a lot with 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 work as well. And you know, suddenly different cultures, different time zones, and you know, you don't, you know, what, certainly what I found sometimes just having one to ones with people I wouldn't already have one to ones with, just so action. And the first ten minutes would just be shooting the breeze about stuff, right? you know so it wouldn't be if you're in the office probably as functional and you'd be straight to it but but you'd just be shooting the breeze to, to how do you keep building that relationship so if there is a problem there is something they feel okay that they'll give you a shout and you know that 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 kind of stuff yeah excellent so let, let's just go into a quick there's a few quick fire questions just to get to know you a little bit so let's just say the first thing that comes into your head some of them are a little strange some of them not so you know uh so the first one is where do you what's your go-to website when you're procrastinating well google so then you Google around. Google and YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> hey, kids. What makes someone a good travel companion? Conversation. Also knowing, being comfortable in silences uh, and being able to have fun. <laughs> good. I feel like you know, because you, you're a big travel person, you were saying. Yeah. Like a big great, trip. Yeah. 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 Oh, where, where did you go for your last trip? The last trip, that's a good point, was a road trip through France, actually. So several places in France, which was lovely. That was a family one. 
um, and probably the worst, last, worst, sorry, worst, last work one um, was probably Germany, actually, was the, probably the last place for work to And then this is the one we ask everybody, it throws some people, but on a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? <laughs> yeah, you see, see I, if 10 is weird, I, I would say I'm like a three or four, but my wife would probably say seven or eight. that's an insight in itself so So concludes another episode of label sessions presents be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast nowhere your platform of choice and of course start your journey today with us at labelsessions.com